Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. A few things, Rick, just remind me. Uh, tonight, if you're coming to Thanksgiving dinner, every Thanksgiving dinner and comedian Johnny W., uh, we will have uh, bottled water here for you. But if you want uh, pop or, or tea or something like that, you got to bring it yourself. It was BYOP, okay, at the Thanksgiving dinner. So just keep that in mind. And also, I'll try to remember to do this again, but when we're done here today, after I'm done uh, preaching, we need to take down the chairs and set up the tables for the Thanksgiving dinner. And then those of you who volunteered to decorate a table, we're doing that right after we get the table set up, all right? All right, that being said... Good morning, Christ Community Church. Yes, sir. All right. There we go. So we're continuing this um, series on Thanksgiving. First things first. How many of you remember the game show Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall? With Monty Hall, right? Not, not with Wayne Brady. I can't, I can't look at Wayne Brady without thinking of Chappelle's show. Um, I, I, but Monty Hall, back when he hosted it, right, he would do this thing often where he would have a member of the audience come up and he would offer them money. He would, $50, $100, something like that. He would offer them cash, more cash than this. I just forgot to go to the ATM. But anyway, it, it, he would offer them cash or they would have the chance to give that cash up and take what's behind the curtains or what's in the box. You remember this? And so if they gave it up, sometimes in the box would be more money, sometimes it would be a prize, sometimes it would be, and sometimes it would be a goat behind one of the curtains, or it would be nothing in the box, or something like that. So it was always a risk. Now, how many of you remember back in the day, I don't know if they still do this or not, because I don't subscribe to the, to the Daily Times, but in the Daily Times, it used to, on Sundays, you get a copy of Parade Magazine. Do you remember Parade Magazine? Anybody remember Parade Magazine? Nobody? Okay, a few of you. All right. So Parade Magazine used to have a column called Ask Marilyn. Now, this column, basically the person writing it, had the highest IQ, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. She had the highest IQ in the world, tested. person with the highest IQ, according to the Guinness Book of Records, was a woman. Men are going, what? Women are going, duh, right? Um, her IQ was 228. 228. And so she would just, she did an advice column. People would write into her and she would respond and ask Marilyn. And one day, somebody wrote a letter and said, you know this game show, let's make a deal. And so they give you something, you have it in hand, or you can take a risk and switch. But you don't know what you're going to get. So is there any math that would help you decide what to do. She said, of course there is. There's math behind almost everything. She said, you should switch every time. The statistical statistics are that you have a better chance of increasing your wealth if you switch. You should switch. Math teachers around the country lost their minds. They began to write her letter and said, no, the chances are not greater. The chances are 50-50. She said, nope. And she put forth a formula. She wrote out this formula and said, here it is. It became known as the Monty Hall problem or the Monty Hall paradox. I have read the Monty Hall paradox. I do not understand the Monty Hall paradox. There's lots of numbers in it. 
I went to law school instead of doing an MBA to avoid numbers and math at all costs. And so people still have just debated this and argued about this. There's a rumor that one of the greatest mathematicians in history, on his deathbed, his last words were, I still don't believe in the Monty Hall paradox. <laughs> and then he died. I, now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'll come back to that. Stick with me. But first, we're going to go to Acts 20. Now, I'm going to set this up for you. Now, in Acts 20, what we're doing is we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. The life of the Apostle Paul takes out a huge chunk of the book of Acts and his travels. And Paul was a guy who had, he had gone after the church. He had persecuted the church. He had killed Christians. He was a Jewish rabbi who hated Christians who thought they were leading Jews astray away from the true faith. Then one day, while he's going to hunt down some more Christians, Jesus appears to him and says, uh, Paul, one, you're wrong, and two, now you're mine. And so Paul then becomes a Christian, then he becomes a Christian pastor, and then he goes out and he begins planting churches and training pastors all over the Roman Empire. And so he goes to see some friends, and he's telling them that he's going to go back to Israel. And they say, well, we've received in prayer, we've received this word from God that you shouldn't do that. If you go back to Israel, they're going to throw you in prison, and you may even die. Paul said, i got to go. If I get, go to prison, I go to prison. If I die, I die, but i got to go. And so he loves these people that, in Acts 20 that he's talking to. And he's giving them final words. Now, if you were with someone that you really loved, and you knew that your life could end, and you had last words to deliver to those people, especially if you're a pastor, you want them to watch out, what would you tell them? Here's what Paul tells his friends. Let's look at it. Acts 20, 32 through 35. He said, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, the gospel. You would expect Paul to talk about the gospel, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Coveted is a fancy word for saying, I didn't want to take it from you. I didn't want the same thing you had. I wasn't jealous or envious. I wasn't any of that stuff. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul did not take a salary as a pastor. He worked all day long in the marketplace. He had been trained as a child to, to make leather goods. And so he would make leather goods and he would sell them in the marketplace. And then he would preach and teach at night. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that term that Jesus, he's quoting Jesus, but you not find that line in the Gospels anywhere. It was something that Paul received. It was handed down by the other disciples about something Jesus had said. But this is interesting. Paul's final words to these people he loves... He talks about the gospel, and then he picks out a sin, a particular sin. Now, if you were thinking about a sin that you would want to address, you would think, well, the biggies are lust. I mean, lust was big in the Roman Empire. One Roman historian said every Roman gentleman has a wife, a mistress, and a favorite prostitute. It was just accepted. It was just accepted. Most of the wives accepted. It was just the way they lived in that culture. So you'd think maybe he addressed lust. No. Lying, stealing, laziness? No. The one sin Paul addresses with his final words to these people he loves is about greed. Why? Think about Think about this. If you're lying, you know you're lying. 
unless there's something wrong with your head up here, you know you're lying. If you're stealing, you know you're stealing. If you're lusting, you know you're lusting. But nobody thinks of themselves as greedy. I have been doing this gig for nearly 18 years. I have never had anyone come to me or come to my office or sit down with a coffee and say, Matt, I got a problem, and say, I'm greedy. I want too much. I spend too much on myself. It's never happened. All those others, yep. I've had people in my office, I've embezzled, I'm in trouble. I've committed adultery, I'm in trouble. I'm addicted to pornography, I'm in trouble. I, I, you know, I, I lie to get myself out of trouble, it gets me in more trouble. I, all those things. Never have I had somebody say, I'm just greedy. I keep too much, spend too much on myself. Now that's a problem. Because a sin is like this. I, I remember one time they interviewed a big game hunter. A guy who liked to go to Africa and hunt big game. They asked him, what's the most dangerous predator? He said, the one you don't see coming. The most dangerous sin is the one you don't see coming. And greed is like that. And that's why Paul is addressing it. And you know, if you don't think of yourself as greedy, think about this. The average American household today has $10,000 in credit card debt. Why? Most of us are broke or in debt. And it's because we spend so much. I see some folks, I'm not trying to get political, but I see some folks like protesting some places and they're protesting about greed and they're doing it while they're twi tweeting it out on their iPhone. It's like, do you get irony? And we have, as a whole, and Christians are not exempt, we have raised what we consider necessities in life. You know, when I was a kid, if we had a, a car that was running... We had clean clothes to wear to school. We had three meals a day. And if we had a color TV, we were living it up. Today, everybody's got to have a TV, a phone, an iPad. Everybody's got to have Netflix, Amazon Prime. Everybody's got to have high-speed you know, Wi-Fi. Everybody's got to have this, 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 and that. That's why we're all in debt. And that's a problem. And because this has affected all of us, even Christians, most Christians do not tithe. In fact, only 10% of North American Christians give to their own church. Only 10%. Some think, wow, they just don't need it. Some are just too in debt to be able to give anything. And we just, and think about where we're at. I mean, if you're like me, because I'm the chief sinners around here, I, I spend a lot of money on myself, especially on, on stuff like supplements and gym memberships and all that other kind of stuff. And I do all that stuff. Man, that stuff's expensive. We do that, and we fill our houses full of junk. How many of you have closets you're afraid to open because it'll be an avalanche? Just fill it up. And here's what you need to know. How many of you have been driving around, and you, have to, and you get stuck behind a funeral procession? Ever done that? It happens to me all the time for some reason. And not just in New Boston. It happens everywhere for me for some reason. And here's what you will never see in a funeral procession anywhere. 
you will never see a hearse with a luggage rack because you cannot take it with you. And most of it, your kids or grandkids or friends or whatever are just going to throw away because it's junk. It's just junk. And so we accumulate all this stuff. We do all this stuff. Some of you out there could, do, could be, you know, star in an episode of Hoarders, for goodness sakes. We just, we do this, and there's no good reason. It doesn't make us happy. At the same time, we're spending more than we ever have and going into debt more than we ever have. At that very same time, there are trace amounts of antidepressants in every water supply in North America because we take so many of them. It doesn't make us happy. It just doesn't. And the church is not giving. Christians aren't giving. But it hasn't always been this way. I'm not going to read it, but I would encourage you to read it. If, if you go to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15, you will see Paul tell the Corinthians. He says, hey, look, I'm not ordering you guys to give. He said, but let me tell you about this other church. This other church has got nothing. I mean, they are dirt poor and yet they just keep giving and giving and giving and giving they give me all this money to feed the hungry back in Israel to help the poor churches that are being persecuted they just give all this money and he says basically why he basically is implying to them why aren't you doing it you got more than they do so why aren't you giving more see the apostle Paul didn't order Christians to give he just assumed they would want to give because he said look if you if you understand the gospel how could you not give if you understand that God is king and every sin you ever commit is treason against that king and you have rebelled against the only one who loves you perfectly and wholly and who reigns over you and for that you deserve death and eternity in hell and yet God stepped off his throne, became a poor person, was tortured and slaughtered on your behalf, so that every sin you had, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, what happened to Jesus on the cross pays the penalty for every sin you've ever committed. And then you get to spend eternity with God, with no sickness, no death. Now, if you understand that, not just intellectually, but that's really sunk in down here, Paul's like, how could you not want to give? Don't you want to give? And do you know what would happen if Christians actually gave? There is a study done, I believe by Pew Research, it was reported in Relevant Magazine, that if every North American Christian gave 10% of their income, the North American church would have an additional $165 billion. That's billion with a B. Now, think about what could be done with that. For $15 billion, you could bring clean water and sanitation to the entire third world. For $1 billion, you could fully fund all current overseas mission efforts. All of them. And then you'd have $149 billion left to deal with drug addiction, illiteracy, all that kind of stuff. Job training. And by the way, this is, not, this is not just the government's job. This is our job. And we do it better. 
Christians who have been shaped by the gospel do it better than paid bureaucrats. They just do. Because they're doing it because they really want to do it, not because they're being paid to do it. For example, if I won the lottery, yeah, I know it's gambling, but we're not Baptists, so deal with it. Um, yeah. If I won the lottery, and just like you, don't, don't look at me, I can feel the judgment coming. Just, just, don't judge me, the Bible says not to, okay? So, you've done it too, you've all walked up there, and whenever it gets 100 million, 200 million, you get up there, and then you, you pray the same prayer I do, oh Lord, the good I could do. You blessed your humble servant with $200 million. You've done it too. One of the things I would do, though, is I would bring a ministry here to Portsmouth called Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge was inaugurated by a minister who's no longer with us in New York City. And what it deals with is drug addiction. It deals with alcohol and drug addiction, and it deals with it from a Christian perspective. And guess what? When you look at relapse rates, when you look at success rates, they have the highest success rate of any rehab in the world. And it's Christ-based. I would bring one of those here because we need it badly. And here's the other thing. Not only does the church need it and do, would do good with it, I know, I understand that you, we've had the scandals over the last 30 years of ministers who waste money and spend all this money on themselves. And there's one minister in Atlanta who, who really irritates me. His last name is really Dollar. And he told his church he needed a private plane. He drives a Bentley. There's no need for that. Because here's the deal. You're driving through New Boston, it doesn't matter if you're driving a Bentley or my Honda Accord, it's going to take you a long time, you're going to be frustrated anyway. It doesn't matter. But true churches who get the gospel do a lot of good with this. And the other side to that is, as we've said now, as Dad has said, Rick, Christians who understand the gospel understand this doesn't belong to them anyway. This, what you're holding in your hand, what you all have in your hand, doesn't belong to you. It's God's. And even though it's God's, he says that if you take part of it and give, he'll bless you additionally. Now, he does not say how he bless you. Dad and Rick and I talked about this. So why doesn't he say how he'll bless you? I think this is why God doesn't say actually how he'll bless you. Because if he said, if you give, I'll give you 10% additional, then you're not giving out of faith, you're investing. God does not promise you he will give you more money. He just says he will bless you in some way. Now, it is true because I've seen it and I'll talk about it in a minute. I do know people who the more they give, the more they make. But because of these people's hearts, where their heart is, I know that the more they make, the more they give. And that's the point. God says he will bless you. So if it's all his, and he says he will bless you, and it will do good, why aren't you doing it? If you're not giving, you have to ask yourself, this is not a money issue at this point, it's a heart issue. Why is it that it's so easy to spend money on ourselves and so hard to give it away? Because it's a hard issue. Because we are primarily in love with ourselves. And we like to spend money on ourselves. But God says he will bless you. And if you really do this, if you understand the gospel, and you just begin to live 
like you should live. We've given you budgets. We'll give you other budgets. It's basically like this. You give at least 10% of your income, at least, even though the New Testament does not say 10%. You can give more. That's fine. In fact, if you want, just give us your credit cards. We'll pray over it and let you know. Um, if you give, you should give at least 10%. You should save at least 10% and live off the 80%. And if that means cutting what we consider necessities, you cut them. You just cut them. I've been looking at my budget. What can I cut here? What can I cut there? Because there's no reason for it. I was still getting Netflix DVDs delivered. I don't even watch DVDs anymore. So why am I doing that? I don't shouldn't pay for that. It's silly. Just cut that stuff out. And you, you know, you can give to a number of great organizations. You can. There are great organizations out there. But I would argue that if you can, you should primarily give to your church. And here's why. You know, you look at what we've done in Uganda, where we've built wells so they can have clean water. You know, we've built a baby rescue mission. Uh, we're getting ready to build, hope it's done by the time we've got a playground over there for the kids, we've soccer balls, all that kind of stuff, and we also have built what dad so delicately calls in northern Kentucky language, the poopatorium. The poopatorium, see, as a, you know, he said this for you, if you go to Uganda now, what they do is they just basically build outhouses. And for fuel, they cut down trees. Well, they're deforesting everything everywhere. It's just, it's a mess. So what we've done is we're going to build this thing where basically they have a clean toilet to go and use. And then the waste from that is converted into methane gas, which will fuel their kitchen. It's the poopatorium. And then the other waste can be taken out and used as fertilizer for them to grow crops. And so then when we get done with all this, we're going to build a vocational center that trains people on how to, so they can feed their families. So if you're giving money to Christ Community Church, yeah, we got to pay the electric bill. Yeah, we got the electric bill's big, but we got to pay the electric bill. We got to do all kinds of stuff. But a lot of that's going overseas. And because it's coming in the name of Christ Community Church and not an individual, guess who gets the glory? God gets the glory, as it should be. See, here's why this is so vitally important. What we have committed ourselves here at Christ Community Church is to prepare everyone who walks in this door to stand before Jesus on Judgment Day. And what we want is for Jesus to look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter my kingdom. What we don't want is for you to get there and be told that actually, yeah, you went to church. Yeah, you went to Bible study. Yeah, you volunteered for VBS, but you didn't get it. You're not one of mine. And if you don't think Jesus will say that, read Matthew 25, 31 through 46. That's exactly what he says. He looks to people who call themselves Christians and says, Now, when I was hungry, why didn't you feed me? When I was naked, why didn't you clothe me? When I was in prison, why didn't you come visit me? And these people who call themselves Christians look up Jesus and go, what? what, what? We, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you without clothing? When did we see you in prison? He said, 
what you didn't do for the least among you, which means your brothers and sisters in Christ, you didn't do for me. We want to prepare you for that day so you can say, I gave what I could. You don't want to stand there in front of Jesus and thought, I could have done this. I could have given away that. I could have done this. I could have given away that. How many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List? Okay, quite a few of you. The ending of that movie is interesting. Now, if you haven't seen it, let me set it up for you. It's a true story. And Oscar Schindler was a German businessman. And he wanted to make it rich. His entire life goal was to make as much money as he could. And so he decided, with the Nazis coming into power in Germany, he knew that meant that they were going to launch into a war, that they were going to invade Poland and Czechoslovakia and so forth. He said, ah, they're going to need bullets. They're going to need missiles. They're going to need bombs. And so what he did was he joined the Nazi party, even though he wasn't a Nazi. He was just an opportunist. And he got in with high party officials, and he said, I'll build those for you. But I tell you what, I can build them cheaper and quicker. If those Jews you carted away and put them in concentration camps, if you let them come work for me, take them out of the concentration camps, let them work for me, I'll build you your, your bombs and your bullets, all that kind of stuff. And the Germans agreed to it, and he began to do it. And to him, they were just workers. But after a while, as he got to know them, they became humans. And then they became his friends. And then when he realized what was happening in those concentration camps, he knew he had to do something. So he literally began to take all of the profits he could make and buy them from the heads of the concentration camps secretly. Just buy them, buy them, buy them. Bribe whoever had to, to buy them. And he began to buy them. He bought over 1,100 Jewish people and got them out of the concentration camps. And the scene near the end of the movie ends like this. Roll it. There are 1,100 people who are alive because of you who could done. If I've made more money, <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... There will be generations because of what you did. I did. 
did so much. This car. Oh God, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is there. For this. I could have gone. One more person. And I didn't. I he did a lot of good, but and many of you have done a lot of good. But what we don't want, what Mom and Dad, Rick and Cindy, Megan and I, Ralph, Andrew and Rich, what we don't want for you is to stand before the Lord one day and say, but I could have, I could have, I could have, I could have. Because we can all do more. We can all do more. And if we did more, what would that say to a skeptical world? Francis Chan said in his book, Crazy Love, our lives as Christians should not make sense to unbelievers. Now, generous Christians, and we, we have many here, but, but we need more everywhere. Generous Christians truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They understand what God has done for them. And their hearts are just filled with a, a, a gratitude where they just want to give. And I've known these people. I spent eight years of my life flying all over the country. And part of my job, when I worked for a nonprofit Christian law firm, part of my job, big part of my job, was raising money. I had to raise millions of dollars each year. And so I got to know people, really interesting people. I got to know the founder of the original mattress factory up in, up in Cleveland. I got to know Forbes Magazine's top stock picker of the 1990s who lives in Philadelphia. I got to know the Templeton family of Franklin Templeton Bonds and so forth, also out of Philadelphia. Megan and I have become very good friends with Jack and Joan Sorensen in Charlottesville, Virginia. Jack was a, was a Marine sniper, and then he went, was, a, was a partner at Goldman Sachs on Wall Street, and then he launched his own hedge fund and was very successful at it. We got to know all these people, and what they all have in common is they're all very successful and the number one thing they love to do is give. They love it. Absolutely love it. I remember sitting there with the guy who was Forbes Magazine's top stock picker of the 90s, and he was calling, he's sitting there, and he called my headquarters, and he was trying to figure out how he could give $100,000 to me on his American Express card. It's like, this is something I will probably never have the opportunity to do. And he was just, he had this big smile on his face. 
because he loved to do it. People who start to give become addicted to it. One of the most famous of all time was John Wesley. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, didn't really mean to found the Methodist Church, but John Wesley was famous for how much he'd give away. When he was a college student at Oxford, he brought in 30 pounds. And he figured he could live on that 30 pounds for the rest of his life. If he just kept living like, like he was living, he could live on that 30 pounds. And then he vowed that anything he made after that, he'd just give away. So the year after he graduated college, he made 34 pounds. He gave four pounds away. Years later, when he was with them, he and his brother were one of the most successful hymn writers in the world, and his books were, and sermons were selling, and he was making thousands of pounds a year. Guess what he did? He lived on 30 pounds a year, and he gave the rest away. And you say, oh, okay, okay, Matt. That's John Wesley. That's Forbes Magazine's top star. That's, you know, a guy from Goldman Sachs. That's okay, okay. Let me bring it closer to home. I haven't gotten in trouble for this yet, but I might. I'm going to talk about my parents. My mom and dad, even when they had almost nothing extra, have always given away 10%. Always. They just always have. It may sound strange to get a check from a church and turn around and take 10% and give it right back, but that's what they do. And most people don't understand how my mom and dad made their money. You see, mom is from Grayson, and her dad had an appliance store, and mom ran that. And they grew up what we would call working class. They didn't have much extra, but they had a warm home and three meals a day. Mom was an excellent student, and she went to college. Dad grew up just above the poverty line. They didn't have indoor plumbing. Um, Dad also was an excellent student. Both of them got a college education. When Dad was in graduate school, they were living in a garage. And eventually, Dad gets full-time ministry work. Mom goes to work as a teacher. Then Mom starts her own business. She launched her own business. She did that for, for a number of years. But then something happened. They kept having kids. They didn't mean to. I am an accident. Probably won't shock many of you. And so was Amy. And then, as the 70s come to a close and the 80s start in, we selfishly wanted to, like, wear clothes, eat, go to college. And mom and dad didn't have the money. So mom sold the business, and she took a job as a corporate insurance agent in Columbus, Ohio. She drove every day from here Columbus, actually Wheelersburg to Columbus, and back every single day. She'd get up at the crack of dawn. She was on the road by 7 a.m. She'd get home between 7 and 7.30, depending on what traffic was like in downtown Columbus, and she'd start making dinner. And she'd spend all day Saturday cleaning the house or going to my ball games or whatever. And then Sunday here, and started all over again. And she was very successful at it. She insured Riverfront Stadium when it was still around. Has all kinds of interesting stories about dealing with Marge Schott. Um, she did that. She insured doctors. She insured, I mean, she, she was very good at what she did. And she launched her own business in the 90s. And she invested wisely. And she lived on, we lived on 80% of her and dad's income. Dad, in the early 80s, got into the steel business. And so he was working Monday through Friday in the steel business and here on the weekends. And it, he got to the place, especially this half started happening in the 90s, that he had clients internationally. 
So he had clients in, in India, Turkey, Germany, South Korea, Mexico, all of those places. And he would often spend all day Saturday in his office over here studying for the sermon on Sunday. And he used to have a Bible study, some of you may remember, in the chapel on Sunday nights. And he'd study for that. He'd do that on Sunday, preach a sermon, go home, eat, take a nap, wake up, go teach the Bible study, get in his car, drive to Columbus, get on a plane first thing in the morning, fly to India, fly to Mexico, fly to South Korea, fly to wherever. He'd do that all week, get on a plane Friday night, fly home, start it all over again. And that entire time, they saved 10%, they gave away 10%, they lived on the 80%. And weird things happened to him lately since they retired. Only people I knew work 60 hours a week retired. The weird thing they've done is they invested in the stock market. They took the money they made working from their savings. They put it in the stock market. And the stock market's been very good to them. And so they started just writing these checks. My mom loves to write these checks. So they helped bring Eddie and Patrick over here, put them through college at KCUs to turn around and send them back to plant churches in Uganda. Mom's putting a, another young woman through college in Uganda. They're just giving, they just love giving money away. And the weird thing that's happened is this. The more money they've given away this year, the bigger their stock portfolio becomes. The more they give, the more God gives them. And I know my mom, and I know my dad, because they both told me, unless we do win the lottery, you ain't getting any of it. <laughs> They're just going to give it away. Now, my mom's one thing, but if a crusty old guy from northern Kentucky can do that, you can do that. We all can do that. We all can do with less and give more. So what I'm telling you is this. What you've got in your hand, what you get in your paycheck, I am telling you to give as much of it as away as you can. And I understand. It's like selecting what's in the box. God says he will bless you, but he doesn't tell you what's in the box. You don't know what's in the box. But the woman with the highest IQ of all time was right. You should switch every time. Make sense? Let's pray. Father God, I, I really hope that um, hearts will be changed, that those who are givers, who have worked so hard at that, that you will continue to bless them as you said you would. I pray for those who are not giving, that it won't, won't be guilt or anything like that that turns them into givers. It'll be love. It'll be the gospel, your gospel, that breaks their hearts so that they just want to give. And as dad will preach next week, that they want to give joyously. They just can't wait to give. That they'll be like those people that I was so blessed to get to know. That just, they love to give. I pray that this church, every church in Sider County, every one of your churches worldwide just wants to give. To help others. Because, Lord, as important as elections are. It won't be the government that changes this world. It'll be your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. Well, Christ Community Church, I am done five minutes early. That means if you have got a kid back in promised land, give them a few minutes to wrap up before you go get them. Just enjoy that four or five minutes of silence and quiet to yourself. For the rest of you, I need your attention for one second before you go. We need to take the chairs down and put the tables up. If you would help us do that for the Thanksgiving dinner tonight, we would really appreciate it. God bless you. God goes with you. See ya.